Welcome to the Say the Word podcast, where we'll dig into words and language as tools for curiosity. I'm your host, Cindy Givinoli, and together we're going to explore how language is used in literature, memoir, poetry, and all kinds of fiction and nonfiction to connect us to what it means to be human and how to use curiosity to peel back the layers of what's keeping us from living the rich, meaningful lives we were always meant to be living. there. Welcome back. Today's selection is from Barry Lopez's book, A Rediscovery of North America. And before we get into it, I have to share a little about how I stumbled across this tiny little 55-page book that might more accurately be called a long essay. So back in 2016, my husband Justin and I decided to uproot the very happy little life that we were living in Freeport, Maine. We loved our home and our community. And We were loath to leave both, but we developed itchy feet, a problem that, fortunately, we share. We also share a deep love for the outdoors. We met hiking the Appalachian Trail back in 2004, so wilderness has served as a backdrop to our life together from the very beginning. Now, Justin works as a nurse, and we talked about what it might look like for him to do travel nursing contracts around the country. If you're not familiar, these are, on average, 13-week contracts in hospitals looking to fill a need of some sort. They're temporary, and when they end, the travel nurse picks up a new contract somewhere else. So in the summer of 2016, we sold our home and everything in it, and we moved into an 82-square-foot travel trailer camper and set off in search of mountains and experience. And with each new contract, we would land in a place and spend a whirlwind three months trying to learn all of its secrets before we packed up and headed to the next spot. We spent time in Reno playing around Lake Tahoe and Northern California among the Redwoods. We spent two months camping out of the back of our truck around Alaska before settling into a winter contract in Anchorage. And while I'll save the stories for another time... Suffice it to say that we were extremely privileged to be able to see the country in this way for three years. It was a gift I will spend the rest of my life finding words for. And also, as it turns out, (laughs) I am equal parts adventure and house cat. Sometimes the travel could leave me feeling a little untethered and disconnected. I spent a lot of my time while we were living on the road thinking about the word home and what it meant to me, how to build a sense of home, and what role community played in that sense, to what extent we could carry it with us, and how it related to our relationship to the land and its history. And it was in the midst of this period of inquiry that I stumbled across this book. Now, I was wandering the messy stacks of a used bookstore during our time in Tucson, Arizona, and this skinny little paperback was sitting on top of a pile of books to be shelved. I recognized the author, and I, w- I had loved his book, Arctic Dreams, which will without a doubt show up here on the podcast at some point, so I picked it up. And like I said, it's only 55 pages, and e- even then, the double spacing and the extra wide margins on the pages are working really hard to stretch it to even that length. So I plopped down on the floor of the bookstore between these musty shelves, and I read it in one enormous gulp. The passage that I'm working with today hit me like a ton of bricks that day. 
And I think you might understand why. And it's been fascinating to come back to this book over the years since then and notice how its message has evolved for me in that time. Now, a quick, a few quick notes for context. Barry Lopez was an essayist and nature writer and an author whose work centered around humanitarian and environmental concerns. His work is stunning and rich and full of the most exceptional depth and detail and description. And in this book, he's looking with a critical eye at the legacy left on North America of what he calls Christopher Columbus's incursion, his ruthless, angry search for wealth. He looks at his lasting impact on the continent as well as challenges his readers to, as it states on the back cover, adopt an ethic that will make further depredations impossible. Now, one last thing. This excerpt contains several Spanish words, and while I am working on it, I do admit that my accent in Spanish is imperfect, so I beg your forgiveness as I do my best here. So without further ado, our selection from A Rediscovery of North America by Barry Lopez. In Spanish, la carencia refers to a place on the ground where one feels secure, a place from which one's strength of character is drawn. It comes from the verb querer, to desire, but this verb also carries a sense of accepting a challenge, as in a game. In Spain, carencia is most often used to describe the spot in a bullring where a wounded bull goes to gather himself, the place he returns to after his painful encounters with the picadors and the banderilleros. It is unfortunate that the word is compromised in this way, for the idea itself is quite beautiful. A place in which we know exactly who we are. The place from which we speak our deepest beliefs. Carencia conveys more than hearth, and it carries the sense of being challenged, in the case of a bullfight by something lethal, which one may want no part of. I would like to take this word, carencia, beyond its ordinary meaning and suggest that it applies to our challenge in the modern world, that our search for a carencia is both a response to threat and a desire to find out who we are. And the discovery of a carencia, carencia, I believe, hinges on the perfection of a sense of place. A sense of place must include, at the very least, knowledge of what is inviolate about the relationship between a people and the place they occupy, And certainly, too, how the destruction of this relationship or the failure to attend to it wounds people. I love this so much. Okay, there are two aspects that I want to dig into here. First, the aspect of la canencia that relates to place. And second, the aspect around its meaning, specifically around how desire and challenge interrelate here. So let's begin with Carencia as a place. He opens by describing it as a place on the ground where one feels secure, a place from which one's strength of character is drawn. And he continues later to say that it's a place in which we know exactly who we are, the place from which we speak our deepest beliefs. Now this feels slippery to me. It's one of those ideas that I feel like I have this solid hold of one minute, and then in the next, I'm struggling to grasp it. And I think that's because while I initially was thinking of this as 
layers, that's not quite right. Because the different types of place where we find Cadencia, they're not layered exactly. They're intertwined and overlapping and threaded together like a tapestry. Here are a few of the different types of place that immediately came to mind for me when I read this passage. There's that place within each of us, the place that we carry within us where we are fully honest, fully ourselves. I think there's an argument that this is that place that's at the core of our heart houses. It's who we are when we're alone, when we're behind a closed door, when we're still and quiet. It's the place, you know, back from episode three where we can hear that softer voice of our own lives, as Mary Oliver said. And then there's the safe place that's created by real love, the one that we find within true friendships and family, whether that's our family of origin or the one that we create for ourselves. This was the first image that came to me when he talked about Cadencia as it applies to the bull ring where he said that it's the place the bull goes to gather himself after his painful encounters. These are the people who really see us and who we can trust to help us hold fast to our truth, to our beauty, our potential, when the outside world has put its swords in our backs. And as we go wider, we can see where communities can be cadencia, right? The most obvious example of this is within a marginalized community. Again, I'm reminded of this description of Cadencia in the bullring and taking shelter within a community of people who have shared some of the experiences of those particular painful encounters of the wider world and who can see the fullness of our humanity without any asterisks applied. His description of La Carencia as a place from which we can speak our deepest beliefs and as a place where we can feel secure especially applies in this context, right? I mean, even on a very basic level, I think there can be Carencia within communities, even with like a lighter and possibly even fleeting connection, a sort of temporary Carencia. I remember years ago being in a small Indian restaurant when a patron at the table near me excitedly waved the server over and asked about the person doing the cooking. As it turned out, the cook was a member of the family who owned the restaurant, and that family hailed from the same locality in India as this patron. And he quite literally cried, describing how long it had been since he'd tasted the food of his childhood with just the right combination of spice and ingredients. The warmth and understanding that passed between the set of strangers was certainly temporary. But I think there's an argument that for that moment, they all shared Cadencia, even if it was just within the space of that shared moment. Which is really probably a great segue to move us into the idea of place in the physical and geographical sense. Most of the people I know, and it's certainly true of myself, have physical geographical locations that they feel most easily and truly themselves in. Maybe it's a homeland of sorts, a region in the world that's tied in some way to your childhood or your coming of age, or that played a role in some major turning point in your life. 
Or maybe it's a type of landscape, a call toward the sea or the mountains or the wide spaces of the prairies. Or maybe it's related to population. Maybe you come alive in the bustle and noise of a thriving city or struggle to come into yourself until you've escaped that bustle and return to something smaller or more rural. Maybe it's even more specific. Maybe within a landscape, you need some specific feature, the lushness and tall trees of the Pacific Northwest or maybe the red rock of the Utah deserts. When I was in my early 20s, I had this experience of place really driven home to me. I had sort of run away to the mountains and rivers of Western North Carolina after a particularly difficult final year of college. And the rivers and mountains there are where I first really came to know myself as an adult. The first place that I really felt like I could breathe easily in my own skin. I loved the landscape, but more, I loved who I was within that landscape. And for reasons I won't go into here, I ended up leaving the mountains there and going to live in San Antonio, Texas for a little over a year. And during that time, I struggled to find a sense of myself. I found like-minded communities and people I shared interests with. I found beautiful places that I enjoyed spending time. But I couldn't quite settle into myself there. At the time, I chalked it up to being in my early 20s and the natural searching that is so often a part of that age. But when I left San Antonio and went back to the mountains, the shift was nearly instantaneous. I suddenly felt comfortable in my own skin again. Now, please let me be clear. This is not a criticism of San Antonio. Please don't interpret it that way. But it did bring home for me the power of place on my sense of self, of how landscape affects how I relate to the world around me. For me, and I think for a lot of people, there are simply places that feel more or less comfortably myself in. And this strikes me as relevant to this discussion of Cadencia that Lopez is having here. Ultimately, this book as a whole centers around our relationship to our environment. And although he's going wide with his discussion, I think it's also relevant on that smaller, more micro scale. When we zoom in, we often experience Cadencia when we step through our front door and close it behind us, right? Hopefully our home is a place we feel secure, a physical location where we can gather ourselves, where we can draw our strength of character. Maybe there's a room in our home, our bedroom, or an office, or a workshop, or a creative space where we can go to pour out what lives in our hearts. You know, when teenagers lock themselves in the rooms for hours on end, isn't this ultimately what it's about? I had a mentor once who had a chair that she did all of her writing in, and it was tattered and worn, but it was her cadencia, the place from which she could speak her deepest beliefs. Now, whether it's a hometown in southern India or a ragged chair tucked into a corner of our living space, it's important that we know where those places are for us, where we can go to gather ourselves. It's important to stay open and curious as we move through the places and environments of our days and take notice of how they impact us, how they impact those places within us, and what the relationship looks like and how we tend it. I want to come back to that conversation about relationship, but I don't want to skip over 
where he talks about the meaning of this idea. And he says, Carencia conveys more than hearth, that it carries a sense of being challenged. And he goes on to say that he extends that meaning in that in our modern world, our search for a carencia is both a response to threat and a desire to find out who we are. Oh, I think this is so interesting, don't you? His example of the bullring really solidifies this for me. Notice that Cadencia doesn't refer to the bull's, you know, barn or stall or, you know, wherever his little home is that he sleeps and eats in. It refers to the place in the bullring, in the bullring, where he goes to gather himself after his painful encounters. And that context matters, right? Carencia, whether within ourselves or a physical location, is a place that exists in the midst of challenge, struggle, some kind of threat. And I really love his word choice here, where the bull goes to gather himself, to gather himself, that idea of gathering. How do we spool all of our disparate pieces back in? Where do we feel secure enough to gather all of ourselves back into some kind of solid form. What does that look like, both internally and externally? I mean, it depends a little on the challenge, right? I mean, after a run-of-the-mill, no-good, rotten day, maybe that place looks like our favorite sweatshirt and a closed door. But after a shattered heart or a devastating loss, we can see that it might take something more. Maybe the arms of a deeply trusted friend or a retreat to a landscape that has served as that gathering place for us before. Or maybe it shakes all of that loose, like the bull in the bull ring, swords in his back. Maybe we have to gather our broken pieces together and tap into the desire to find out who we are now, now in this new world we find ourselves in. I think we likely have many versions of cadencia in our lives. And those gathering places that we search for out of a response to threat and our desire to find out who we are, are worth the work to hunt down. They're worth the work to identify and to keep one eye peeled for all the time. And like is so often the case, that work is rooted in our curiosity, in our interest, and in our noticing. Asking ourselves what we need to feel secure enough to speak our deepest beliefs, to be exactly who we are, to gather ourselves in the face of pain or loss or challenge or transition, and being willing to listen honestly to the answers that we find. We have to pay attention day in and day out to where we find our energy, to who and what lights us up, makes us feel seen and understood, how we connect to ourselves and our loved ones and our communities. I mean, curiosity often looks like just that, attention, noticing, Asking why or how this feels the way it does without attaching value to what we find. Now, I want to wrap this up because we're going to run a little long here. But before I go, I want to touch that last sentence from this passage. He says, 
A sense of place must include, at the very least, knowledge of what is inviolate about the relationship between a people and the place they occupy, and certainly, too, how the destruction of this relationship or the failure to attend to it wounds people. I think that's really powerful. And the word I want to home in on here is relationship. Again, his book centers around a bigger discussion on a wider scale, but I just can't help but think about what this looks like zoomed in a little tighter. What is inviolate about the relationship between a people and the place they occupy? What is inviolate about the relationship that we have to those places within ourselves or to our communities? What is sacred to us when it comes to those relationships? It's a huge question. And what happens when those relationships are destroyed or go untended? What happens when we allow pieces of our heart house to crumble from neglect? What is toxic and lethal to those relationships? He says, a sense of place, a carencia, requires that we look for the answers to those questions, that we seek the knowledge of what is sacred and how neglect or destruction can wound and damage us, which means we must ask ourselves, right? We have to stay riveted by the opportunities in our daily lives to explore these places, to explore what our relationships to them are, the places both within and without that are both solitary and populated. No life is without challenge. None of us go the span of our days without on some level and at some point feeling like the bull in the bull ring, bleeding and scared and angry and wounded. But none of us are without carencia either. If we can stay open, interested, curious, we can find it within ourselves. We can find it within our communities, in the landscapes we seek out and the homes we create. Alrighty, so it's possible that there are more words spoken in this podcast episode than there are actually written in this book, but, you know, here we are. Again, that's from Barry Lopez's A Rediscovery of North America, and as always, you can find it, um, the link to it in my show notes at cindygibinoli.com backslash podcast. Now, I recently had an email from a listener in response to my request for favorite quotes from you guys, and I've just got to share most of this email This is from Jenny C. And she says, I've been wanting to write since your podcast started. I wanted to send a quote that's meaningful to me right away. But as often happens to me in these situations, I blanked. There's just so much I've read and love that no one passage came to mind. So I decided to wait until something struck me. I expected to send you a quote from a novel or a poem. But what ended up prompting me to write today is from the New York Times. It's an opinion piece entitled, You Can Be a New You After the Pandemic. Honestly, I rolled my eyes a little when I read the headline. Yeah, sure I can. But I had a few minutes with my breakfast, and that's the section of the newspaper that was open on the coffee table. The author, Olga Kazan, says this, quote, Scientists say that people can change their personalities well into adulthood. Researchers have found that adults can change the five traits that make up personality. Extroversion, openness to experience, emotional stability, agreeableness, and conscientiousness within just a few months. Our personalities, reads the pull quote, are not just set in stone. They are more like sand dunes. And Jenny says, 
This whole concept blows me away. I know we can change, of course. I wouldn't be going to therapy if I thought I couldn't change. And I've experienced change by doing what the article goes on to recommend, the as-if principle, which means acting as if you already possess a desired trait. Fake it till you make it definitely works. I've always been down with changing behaviors. But something about the imagery of the sand dunes with its continually shifting body as applied to personality feels very new to me. That we can change not only what we do, but who we are. That we can, in fact, change who we are through what we do feels hopeful to me. And I also feel this deep sense of relief. This passage makes me want to leave my Myers-Briggs personality type on the shelf and approach myself and my potential in a new way. Oh my gosh, Jenny, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing this. That imagery of the sand dunes is new to me as well, and it just feels so powerful. I love it. So next week, we're going to be talking about a passage from Min Jin Lee's best-selling novel, Pachinko. Until then, be sure to stay curious out there. That's it for this episode of the Say the Word podcast where we explore how language is used in fiction, nonfiction, and poetry to connect us to what it means to be human and how to use curiosity to peel back the layers of what's keeping us from living the rich, meaningful lives we were always meant to be living. Be sure to share and subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and I would so appreciate it if you would go ahead and leave a review. Thanks for listening. I'm Cindy Givinoli, and I'll see you next week on Say the Word. Say the Word.